Amen. Thank you, Carol, for those prayers, and good morning, church. It's great to be with you today, those here and those online. It's the first Sunday of 2024. It's hard to believe we're here already, but here we are, and we're starting a series called Flourish. Now, in the fall and last summer, we did a series on Galatians. We did a series on Revelation, very sort of expository preaching. We're shifting gears a bit in this next sort of six weeks as we go to issues of the heart, as we look below the surface and how do we flourish both in our relationships with one another and then in our faith with our relationship with God. What does that look like? We kicked this off really last week. If you weren't here last week on the 31st, We talked about what does it look like to flourish in 2024, and we had some reflection questions, both looking back and looking ahead. Not so much New Year's resolutions, but ways and questions to guide your heart. What has God been teaching you? What are some of your hopes for the coming year? And so we'll dig into that in this series. You won't just be hearing from me. We'll have two of our psychologists that'll be preaching at different points in this series as well as we go to... How do we actually change and transform? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here in this year, 2024, that you are here in this space. And so may our hearts be open to all you want to do today. In your name we pray, amen. So Carol mentioned this verse already from 1 Samuel 16, 7, and it says this, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The context for this is Samuel is going to Bethlehem to see Jesse's family, okay? So in Advent, Jesse, right, this root of David, then this root of Jesus. So in Jesus's family lineage, God sends Samuel to Bethlehem to look for who is going to be the next king. And Jesse brings out his oldest sons, And they all look impressive, and yet God says to Samuel, don't look at their outward impressiveness, I'm looking at the heart. So none of these six are the chosen ones, so Samuel asks Jesse, do you have any other sons? Yeah, our youngest, who's out tending the sheep, bring him. And that is David, and Samuel anoints David as Israel's next king. The heart is very important. It's very important, our relationship with God, with self, and with others. And time and time again in Scripture, we see this focus on our inner selves, on our inner transformation, what is happening inside here. Can our hearts be transformed? Can we change? Can we be renewed? See, so often in our discipleship, in our desire to become Christ-like, we don't go deep enough to actually get to the things that God wants to transform. I grew up in a very sort of knowledge-centered idea of faith, that the more you learned of the Bible, somehow that was going to bring you transformation. Now, knowledge is important, but we have to remember the most knowledgeable people that Jesus encountered in scripture were who? The Pharisees, right? They knew the Bible better than anybody, and yet their hearts were not transformed. And so we want to go deeper than just knowing the word. We want to see how God can transform us 
inwardly. And we've seen this focus really in the last 2,000 years from church leaders. Augustine says it this way, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Meister Eckhart 900 years later after Augustine says, no one can know God who does not first know himself. This emphasis on self-awareness, do you know what is happening inside yourself? Because that's going to be really important in your relationship with God. Then finally, St. Teresa of Avila around the 16th century says, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. So that's what we're going to spend some time in today and in this series, getting to know what is inside. God already knows it there, because those things that are inside often shackle us from what God wants to do in our lives. I was watching the Church Mental Health Summit um, last year, and one of the speakers was Mike Foster, and he has a book called The Seven Primal Questions. I highly recommend it, and we're going to look at the questions he brings up in the book this way, but this is what he says. The seven primal questions is a simple way of seeing your hidden programming, emotional needs, and supernatural gifts in a transparent way. To stop being controlled by old wounds and patterns that sabotage your story and learn how to live in emotional freedom. That for me is very engaging For myself and those I've journeyed with, this is so key to unlocking the transformation that God wants to do. So we want to dig into these questions over this series. These are the seven questions. Am I safe? Am I secure? Am I loved? Am I wanted? Am I successful? Am I good enough? And do I have a purpose? These primal questions are things that were imprinted on our hearts in our childhood. As an adult, we might have one or two of these questions, or maybe more, that have journeyed with us from childhood to now. Maybe it's the question beneath the question that we are carrying with us. When we get an answer of, yes, am I safe? Yes, then life is good. When we get an answer of, you know what, I'm not sure if I'm safe, or no, I'm not safe, then we enter what he calls the scramble, this this desire to get to a yes in our questions. And often we seek out the yes in unhealthy ways. This question, though, underpins so much of what guides us and leads us. So how do you get to your question? We're going to talk more about this next week as well, and we'll put a link into you can go in and do an assessment. But I think as you look at this list and as we go through today, you might have some idea of what your question is. But some of the ways to get at that are what are your triggers? If you have a button, you know, that is pushed, what is that button? What are the things that bother you? Also, what do you do really well in a relationship? What are some of your strengths that you bring into relationships? Do you make people feel safe, secure, loved? If you're a parent, what is your core message to your child? What is the thing that they, be, they most often hear from you? Do well in school? Stay safe tonight when you go out? You are loved? Each of us might have a question that we've journeyed with that we are now repeating to our children. 
Is there a particular message that's on your heart that you feel like is part of your, just your life mission? You want other people to, to know this question. These are all ways of getting at what is the question you've carried with you in your life. It's a way to understand our hidden programming. Here's a chart that kind of illustrates this. There's this unmet need. Underneath our behaviors and emotions is an unmet need that is fueling both the emotion and the behavior. See, if we only look at the behavior or the emotion, we're not going to change anything because it's not getting to the root. Our emotions and behaviors can be diagnostic. They can help us to understand there must be something deeper There's some unmet need, and what is it? But maybe so often we stop and we only address the behaviors or the emotions. I've seen this in um, work with anger and anger management. And there are some great books on anger management, but the book won't really be that effective if it doesn't go below the surface to see what is this unmet need that is stirring your anger. You're only managing symptoms at that point. Dallas Willard calls this the gospel of sin management, when we're only trying to manage the ways that we're living that are not godlike, not Christ-like. We're not actually getting to the root of the problem. So what is the root? If you know somebody that brags a lot, it's probably annoying. Why would somebody brag a lot? Maybe it's driven by insecurity. Why are they insecure? Maybe they weren't affirmed as a child. Maybe the question, am I loved, was never fully answered for them. Or maybe I only feel loved when I've been successful, when I bring home the right grade, when I do something that my parents like. And so when I'm insecure, then I brag to show other people how good I am. Aren't I lovable because of these great things that I've done? Here's another way to look at the chart. You have this primal question, for instance, am I safe? And when we can answer, yes, I am safe, then, okay, I'm at ease. I'm at peace. When that question is maybe or no, It sends us into this chaotic reaction, trying to get it to a yes. So anytime you're feeling stressed, angst, frustration, anger, and anxiety, chances are your primal question has been stirred up. See, the scramble untethers you from your best self. When we're in the scramble, we're no longer regulated. We're no longer functioning as we would want to function. It anchors us instead into this insecurity of our primal question not being answered in the way that we want. We'll do anything to get it back to a yes. And a lot of times these are unhealthy behaviors. They can be things like people-pleasing, controlling people, codependency, Letting others make choices for you, perfectionism, workaholism, transactional love, constantly checking your bank accounts and your investments, an extreme focus on how you look, or saying yes to everything. See, living in the scramble leads to self-sabotage, leads you away from your true identity, 
It begins to direct the decisions of your life. It impacts how you're deciding to live, and it impacts the way you are in relationship with others. But when you can understand your primal question, it begins to get at the root of things. It begins to get at this freedom that God wants you to experience. See, we'll all have this question. You're not flawed or broken because you carry this question in your life. The real problem is not being aware of your primal question and letting it secretly call the shots because it will control how you live and how you behave. The seven questions are really simple. Am I safe? Am I secure? Am I loved? Because they get formed in our childhood. These very basic needs that we all have and are expressed maybe not even verbally as children, these basic needs that we have to be safe, to be loved. But how we coped with this question as a child will shape how we behave as adults. We had solutions as a child for child problems, but those solutions are no longer effective as adults. For me, the question of my emotional needs, will this be a place that I can have my emotional needs met, even though I couldn't even verbalize what those emotional needs are? And when those needs aren't met now, I find myself triggered. The person must not love me if they're not meeting this need. Getting to these primal questions can help unlock the ways it is controlling you and shaping you. You can discover the truth that you are, in fact, love. See, our faith can play such an important role in answering these questions with the truth of who God is and the truth of who you are in your identity. That you are loved, you are seen, you matter, you have purpose. The songs the team picked this week were very intentional in addressing these truths that our faith if we believe it, can be transformative. Now, there's a flip side to these questions. It's, it's not all bad news, actually. There's actually good news that comes with these questions. They really become our superpowers or our, our gifts, if you will, because what you often need is also what you give away to others. If you are somebody that craves safety, chances are you are making it a safe place for other people. The years of wrestling with this question have given you a lens to view the world through. They've made you especially aware of this need in other people. And so you are good at creating that very thing. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He says, the way you have been comforted, you can comfort others. Things that you have gone through, God will use those and redeem those for his good. Our setback can be a setup for this gift, for this power. And so let's dig in. Firstly, with Paul's message to the Ephesian church, he says, to put off your old self and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And it's a great verse, but it actually is a process that he's describing. It's not this instantaneous old self is gone, new self is here. So often this old self has to be dealt with, has to be worked through. There's questions that have to be dug into, but God's hope is that we experience new life in him. 
All right, first question. We're not going to get to all seven today. I didn't even get to the number of questions I wanted to to get today. Um, so this series will, uh, this will be extended. But the first question, am I safe? You might also ask this, will I be okay? Am I protected? Is life against me? Will I survive? And again, this question emerges from your early childhood experiences. If there was neglect or abuse, if there was insecurity, if you had a chaotic environment, chances are you were not feeling safe. As an adult, you might want to be in control. One person who has this as their primary question said it this way. They said they don't want to participate in activities where I might be hurt. I drive super carefully, so uh, I don't get a car into a car accident. I check my bank accounts hourly because I'm feeling unsafe and not knowing what is there. COVID was an especially difficult time, if this was your question, if you had a fear of COVID, for instance. Do I be, stop going outside? Do I stop socializing with friends? So the core need is really safety, physical and emotional. When people with question one as their primal question are at their best, they're relaxed and they're at peace. They can heal and protect those around them. But there's this fear of experiencing pain, this fear of not being able to survive or to figure out the problem. But they're also very gifted because they can help others to feel safe and protected. They have an ability to analyze and predict what might go wrong. They're emotionally connected and sensitive. They're the watchdogs of the world. But when they're in their scramble, when they're in the mode of, I'm not sure if this need can be met, then they don't like negative surprises. They don't like things coming out at them that might impact their safety. So each of these primal questions comes with a tendency to want to avoid it. See, we might want to avoid the scramble. We might want to avoid putting ourselves in the position of a no. We always want to be in the yes. So if I avoid it, then I'm shrinking back from life. I'm never putting myself in the place of having that be a no. So I can be highly controlling of my environment, of my relationships, of my activities that I will or won't do. Because I don't want to have to answer that question. I don't want it to pop up. I don't want it to be a no so you avoid risks. You keep people at an emotional distance, controlling your environment and relationships. But of course, this has a negative impact on your dreams, on your ambitions, on the quality of your life. You can always be on edge. But when you're working through this question, it does not have to dominate your life. You don't have to try to meet this in unhealthy ways. You begin to walk into the truth that you have a voice. You have an ability to make change. You can protect yourself. 
Our faith gives us this buffer zone of an assurance of our relationship with God. And God certainly doesn't say, I'm going to protect you from all harm. But he does walk with us and carry us and is with us through the highs and the lows. And we know we can be secure in that relationship and say, I am safe. Primal question number two. Am I secure, specifically financially secure, You might also say, do I have enough? Will I ever have enough? Will I run out? Can I provide for myself? When those with this questions are at their best, they're generous, they're connected, they're secure. But at their core, there's this craving of security, both in their finances and in their relationships. There's a real fear of not having enough money, not having enough relational resources to protect themselves. And this fear, the amount of money you have really is immaterial. You could struggle with this if you have $2,000 or $2 million. You're afraid it'll run out. You're afraid you'll lose it. You're afraid there'll never be enough. You believe you cannot let up. You cannot take a break. It leads to things like workaholism or can lead to things like hoarding of resources to protect yourself. And to be honest, this is one of the questions that I've had to journey with in life. I was growing up in a very financially insecure family, and it wasn't so much that there wasn't enough money, it was that the money wasn't used well in my family. So we would get things like a cutoff notice for the utilities, uh, for the trash being picked up. My parents would fight all the time about You're spending this, and you're spending that, and we can't pay the bills. And I can remember making this inner vow to myself that I'll never fight about money in my marriage and that I'll never be in the place that my parents are at. So some of the positives it led to, making a budget, right? I had this Excel spreadsheet I've used for, I don't know, I think our whole marriage. And it you know, has great gifts with this fear. You're great providers. You're working towards building stable environments. But the flip side is you can hoard things. You can be stingy instead of generous. Your fear of not having enough can hold you back. And you can become focused on your own financial needs while ignoring the needs of others. When your security is threatened, you can also be aggressive and controlling and have a take-no-prisoners approach to life. I mean, this is why community, our faith, and our being with other people are a great buffer against these types of things because when we're in community, we actually see needs of real people. These aren't just hypothetical people that might need something. It's the person maybe sitting next to us, and it breaks us out, or it should break us out of this fear that we have. I know for me, one of the things that has actually helped with this question is generosity, is tithing, is stewardship. And it might seem like a big bit of a paradox to give back to God when you're feeling, you know, uh, financially, will I ever have enough? Giving back to God actually freeing me to appreciate the, what I still do have. And it's a paradox. As I've talked with people outside the church especially, they're like, do Christians believe they've got to give away some of their money? And you sort of explain it. And trying to explain this idea that actually when you give away it, the money has less hold on your heart. It's a good guardrail for you in life. 
And so you can move from the question to the truth that I am secure. Again, not that you will never face challenges or hardships, but you can be secure in your relationship with God. Question number two. Now, we're going to skip uh, question three. I'm sorry if you were hoping for the I am loved. We'll get to it next week. Um, This actually has taken longer than I thought, but uh, I want to give a good amount of attention to each of the questions. Remember, your past is not the final word. Whatever had happened to you does not have to control you into the future. This is the message of redemption, of the gospel, the good news that Jesus brings, that he is at work. Oftentimes, we might have picked up a coping mechanism or picked up a lie in our childhood, and we've held on to it. Part of what I'm hoping all of us can do is to examine what is that. Can we set it down and pick up a deeper truth? God can work in you in this process. Jesus often talks about the heart in the gospel so many times, he, and we'll look at this next week, that he knew their heart. He knew what they were thinking. He knows what's inside, and he knows what's inside of us. And that's part of what we're going to be digging into in this whole series, but I also want us to look into God's heart. We, saw, we see Paul express it beautifully in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts, As you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. God is interested in our hearts, and Paul wants us to see the heart of God. And he is somebody that saw so well the depth of God's love. He experienced radical transformation in his life from being an oppressor of God's people to being a receiver of God's grace. He gives us just this glimpse And this is a truth that I hope becomes more and more secure in our lives in this season. Because everybody is in a battle. I love this quote. Be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. You, me, those that you meet. This context of grace is how God works in and transforms us. I've been pastoring for over 20 years now, and I love to see transformation happen, both in the church and in myself. And it starts with who God is, his love and his grace for us. It's in this context that he wants to transform us. One of our values is authenticity. It's being real with what is in here, because that's the place that God wants to deal with, is what's really inside of you. And when we can have a place of grace in community, we can begin to share that with people we trust here. That's why I'll keep calling us back to grace time and time and time again. It's how God wants to work in and through us. 
and then we can bring that grace to the world. We're not the carers of that grace. We are the pointers to that grace, but we can act in kind and gracious ways to those in this world, pointing them to the true grace giver, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you, in fact, are here, that you journey with us, that you love us, that you will be the good shepherd and walk with us into the depths of our hearts, into the places that are difficult to go. We receive that grace. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to go back to the seven questions, and the worship team is going to play um, for a couple of minutes and really give us just a chance to meditate on, maybe your question has already sort of bubbled up for you. Maybe you're still thinking about it. Maybe there's something in the sermon that has triggered for you. Um, Spend the next couple of minutes just in reflection as as the team sings, but also sings words of truth over us. May you meet God in this time.